Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. As of March 7th, you can join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at our new church home at 5103 Pegasus Court. You can also continue to watch online on Facebook or through the Church Center app. Either way, we hope you join us. Now, let's check out Sunday's message. All right, let's talk about Easter. We are just a few weeks away from Easter Sunday, which is a pretty big deal. And because last week there were 235 people here, including kids, we're going to, yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Um, But because of that, we're going to add a second service just for Easter. So on April 4th, the service times will be 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. And we're doing this because we want to make sure there are enough seats for everyone in the auditorium. We don't want you to have to celebrate Easter in overflow seating in the lobby. We're also adding a little extra time in between the services so we can disinfect high touch points and reset our building safely. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of the screen behind me. Your phone's already out because you filled out a connection card, right? So take a picture of the screen behind me, two Easter services, 9.30 and 11.15, And you can choose whatever service that you want to attend. We just encourage you to show up a few minutes early so our team can help you find the best seat possible so we can create the safest worship experience. Now, I do want to make sure that we're on the same page. We are adding a second service for Easter weekend, but that's it. We will not be adding a second service on regular Sundays right now. And the reason is because we want to make sure that we actually have enough team members to have two services instead of asking people to serve three and four times a month. In fact, we will not move to two services as a church until we get 12 more people to join the Collective Kids team. So we're kind of putting this in your hands if you don't serve here. No pressure. And so until then, we're going to stick to one service. So if you show up the week after Easter at 9.30 a.m., you'll be an hour early. If you show up the week after Easter at 11.15 a.m., you miss church. All right, so I want some crowd participation from you all. Uh, By a round of applause in a second, if, if you are here or if you're in the chat online, we want you to comment. I want to know, do you read the terms and conditions when you purchase something, download something, or subscribe to something? So, no, hold on one second. Listen, listen. Here's what I need. By a round of applause, who reads every word of the terms and conditions that they come across? No, you don't. You thought someone was going to clap with you, but they didn't. All right, so here's the next one. By a round of applause, who reads just part of it? Maybe you like scan through it a little bit, but you try to pick out some words. Give me a round of applause. I I think you're lying. I don't believe you. Last one. How many of you just immediately scroll all the way to the bottom and click that little box that says, I read and understand the terms and conditions, even though you have no idea what to say? There you go. Yeah. That's me. Uh, I don't read them. I just scroll all the way to the bottom and accept them because nobody has time for that. I just want to play crazy cupcakes. I don't care if you're secretly stealing my kidney. Just let me play my game. In fact, while I was writing this sermon, I got an email from Panera about updated terms and conditions, and I thought, oh, that's ironic, and then I deleted the email without even reading it. (laughs) But check this out. In 2019, a Georgia high school teacher won $10,000 
after she closely read the terms and conditions that came with a travel insurance policy that she purchased. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Square Mouth, which is a very Florida insurance company name, uh, they had inserted language promising a re- reward to the first person who emailed the company after reading the terms and conditions. And Donalyn Andrews did it, and she won $10,000. And apparently, companies do stuff like this all the time. In 2017, 22,000 people who signed up for free public Wi-Fi inadvertently agreed to 1,000 hours of community service, including cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages, <laughs> which some of you checked into our guest Wi-Fi and you're wondering if there's something there, you gotta read. You owe us collective kids ministry. <laughs> a few years earlier, several Londoners agreed to give away a child in exchange for Wi-Fi access. Before, listen to this, before they could get on the internet, users had to check a box agreeing to assign their child to the company for the duration of eternity. Meaning it wasn't actually snuck into the terms and conditions, it was right at the bottom of the webpage. And according to the Guardian, six people signed up. Now, before you judge those parents, uh, my guess is they saw the box and they probably had a kid around maybe two, two and a half years old where everything is me do it and they have a meltdown every time you don't let them shut every single door that they walk through or when you don't let them take a knife at dinner or when you make them take their rain boots off before they go to bed. Sorry, I'm projecting. It's been a rough few weeks with our two and a half year old Harper. This is our life right now. I might check that box. But there's more. In Tumblr's community guidelines document after warning that impersonation is not permitted, Tumblr then elaborates, While you're free to ridicule, parody, or marvel at the alien beauty of Benedict Cumberbatch, you can't pretend to actually be Benedict Cumberbatch. In MailChimp's terms and conditions, it says, we won't be held liable for any delays or failure in performance of any part of the service from any cause beyond our control, including fires, earthquakes, nuclear accidents, and zombie apocalypse. And the Apple iTunes agreement, some of you have heard this before, mysteriously contains a clause prohibiting its use to construct weapons of mass destruction. So whether you buy something, whether you sign up for something, or just attend something, there is always fine print. And it ultimately feels like there's always a catch. So today we're continuing in our series called Promises, where we're looking at some of the biggest promises that God ever made. And my guess is that some of you are skeptical because you've had promises broken in the past where you got your hopes up, but were left disappointed. And it doesn't matter that those promises didn't come from God, but from flawed people just like you and me. There's a bit of you that wants to know, what's the catch? Last week, we talked about the promise that you will not be abandoned, right? God promises that he will never leave you. He will not turn his back on you. He will not walk away from you. But I know that some of you were thinking, what are the terms and conditions of this? What does the fine print say? Why won't God abandon me? Right? Everyone else in my life has. What makes God any different? What if I stop believing? What if I have doubts? What if I don't trust him? Why won't God abandon me? And that takes us to week two of this series. It's the because. It's the reason why God makes promises and then he keeps them. The reason God will not abandon you is because he loves you. And this is really important. And if you don't write down anything else, this is what you need to write down. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. 
You need to listen to me right now. You are loved. A few years ago, Andy Stanley, who's a lead pastor of North Point Church in Georgia, preached a sermon called, The Bible Told Me So. And here's what he said. Many of you were brought up to believe, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And this is where our trouble began. Because the implication is, and this is important, the implication is that the Bible is the reason we believe God loves us. In other words, I can believe Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. And the thing is, it is in the Bible. But I, Michael, don't want you to just believe God loves you because it's in a song that you sang in Sunday school or because the Bible tells us so. I want you to see what God says about his love for you. I want you to see what Jesus says about his love for you because that really is the foundation of Christianity. The gospel, the good news is that there is a God who loves you so much that he would do anything to be in a relationship with you, right? And God extends grace to us. Grace meaning there's nothing you could do to make God love you more and there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. So I want you to know that that love exists because of what God did and because of how Jesus lived his life not because of a song that you might have sang in Sunday school or because of a bumper sticker that your mom maybe had on your car when you were growing up. And truthfully, I want this to be something that you don't roll your eyes at, rather you hold on to in every season of your life. So let me explain to you what type of love we are talking about when we say that God promises that he loves you. Here's the first thing I wanna point out. God's love is unconditional. Check this out. In 1 John 4, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Right, so this isn't a Barney, I love you, you love me, we're a great big family love. Right, this isn't I love tacos, this isn't I love warm weather, this isn't an I love lamp kind of love. This is real love. God's love is real love. It's unconditional love. Look at what John writes in verse 10 again. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's love for you is not contingent on your love for him. You don't have to love him first to be loved by him. A few years ago, I was grabbing a beer with a friend of mine who was in a relatively new dating relationship, and he called me because there was an emergency and he needed to talk right away. So we met up, and he told me that his girlfriend had said, I love you to him for the first time. And they had just started dating, so I assumed that the emergency was how quickly she got to that level, but that wasn't it. It also wasn't that he didn't feel the same way. That wasn't the emergency. The emergency was that in the moment of panic, He said, I love you too. But don't worry, he adopted the fake it till you feel it approach and his relationship, they lived happily ever after. Of course that didn't happen. They broke up a week later, right? So what John is saying that this isn't one of those relationships where you say, God, I love you. And he awkwardly looks away, avoiding eye contact and says, I love you too, right? God's love for us is not contingent on our love for him. It's unconditional love. It comes to us before we ever reciprocate it. John 17 says, you love me even before the world began. Right? And this doesn't matter if you are a follower of Jesus or not. 
It doesn't matter if you love him back. It really doesn't. God's love is unconditional. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. You are loved. God's love is also sacrificial. John 15 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's a selfless, grace-filled, endless second chances, lopsided type of love. And in this verse, it's actually Jesus who's saying this. He's talking to his followers and he says, the ultimate version of love is where someone gives up their own life for the sake of other people. And of course, Jesus is foreshadowing his own death. Right, where he would go on to eventually sacrifice himself so that we could have the opportunity to spend uh, eternity in heaven. Right? Jesus endured the cross so we didn't have to, and he did it willingly. Right? Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to give up his own life to prove it. Right? And true sacrifice requires action. So Jesus doesn't just promise that he loves us, he backs it up. He puts his money where his mouth is. He says, I love you. Now let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to give up my own life so that you can have a relationship with God. God's love is unconditional, it's sacrificial, and God's love is for everyone. John 3.16 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this is quite possibly the most famous verse in the Bible. It's the first verse that many of you learned if you grew up going to church as a kid. Now, if you didn't grow up to church, you've maybe seen it uh, with people holding up signs at football games or wrestling matches. I'm not really sure what it has to do with sports, but whatever. But again, this is Jesus talking, but this time he's actually talking about God's love for us. He says, this is how God loved the world. He's saying, this is for everyone. It's not just for a select group of people that God chooses. It's for everyone. It's for me and it's for you. And listen, I know that some of you are struggling with this topic today, right? Maybe you're skeptical. You're struggling to believe that God truly does love everyone, right? And so you're sitting there, your arms are crossed, you're arguing with me in your head right now, because at some point in your life, someone told you that the terms and conditions of God's love were that you followed him perfectly, that you didn't screw up. But guess what? You did. And then people acted like God's love was conditional and because you messed up or had doubts or maybe you asked questions in church or maybe you didn't go to church for a while because you didn't feel comfortable, whatever it is, the people in your life treated you as if that love was gone. And now you think it's too good to be true and you aren't sure if you believe that it's real. You're wondering, what's the catch? There's got to be strings attached to this whole God loves me thing. What are the terms and conditions for being loved? Or maybe you're struggling with this because you feel unlovable. Someone actually told you in your life that you couldn't be loved. They treated you that way when they walked out. When they told you that you were a lost cause. When they used their words or their fists to bring pain into your life. So it's not that you're skeptical. You just don't think you can be loved. So let's make this personal. If you were to ask Jesus... Jesus, is it possible that the sins and mistakes I've made in my life against my marriage, against my family, against my parents, against my kids, against my boyfriend or girlfriend, against my own body, and ultimately against you, is it possible for you to still love me? Yes. But don't I have to say my sexuality is going to look like this? 
Right? Don't I have to, to fix my marriage? Don't I have to stop looking at porn? Don't I have to give away more money? Don't I have to put down the bottle first? Don't I have to, don't I have to, don't I have to? Don't I have to earn your love? No. Now here's the thing. God wired us a certain way. He does know what's best for us. In fact, this is really important. God loves us, but that doesn't mean he loves everything that we do because unconditional love doesn't mean unconditional acceptance. And to be honest, if you are in a relationship with anyone where they unconditionally accept everything you do, you are in a toxic relationship. It means you're in a one-sided relationship where you are being enabled to live selfishly with you being the most important part of that relationship. Right? Every good and healthy relationship has boundaries. Every good and healthy relationship has accountability. Every good and healthy relationship is equally sacrificial. Right? And if you are in a relationship where you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want to do it, that's toxic. You see, God doesn't love when I'm impatient with my kids, but he still loves me. God doesn't love when I'm short-tempered with my wife, but he still loves me. God doesn't love when I sin, when I choose to walk out of alignment with him. God doesn't love that, but he does still love me. And the choices we make have eternal consequences. Certain things, if you do them, will continue to destroy relationships and intimacy in your own life. Right? It'll destroy this marriage just like it did the last. It'll destroy your dating relationship just like it did the last. It's gonna destroy your family like it's already doing. It's going to destroy everything around you. So God clearly doesn't want us to disobey him or disregard his teaching. But here's the answer to, don't I have to stop doing this? The answer is no. No, you don't have to change anything to be loved by God. The condition of God loving you is not that you have to change something. It's not that you agree to not do those things anymore. You are not making a deal with God for his love. What's the terms and conditions? There aren't any. You're loved. And I know, I know that some of you are offended by this message, and that's fine. But do you know the people who are most offended by a sermon where a pastor says, you don't have to change to be loved by God? Typically, it's Christians who are not currently screwing things up in their lives, right? It's the person who isn't currently screwing up their marriage. It's the person who isn't currently in the middle of a relapse. It's the person who isn't currently stressed to the point where they're snapping at everyone they come across. Those are the people who hate this type of sermon because they think I'm letting them off the hook too easily. Right? Here's the argument that's going on in their head right now. He or she is addicted to alcohol, drugs, porn, food, exercise. They spend money they don't have. They buy things they don't need. They live for the approval of other people. They have a bad temper. They say hateful things. They're a bully. They're a liar. They're a cheater. They have done horrible, bad, shameful things to me or other people. Don't they need to at least try to be a good person? Right? Don't they need to at least try to change some things in their life in order for God to start loving them? No. They don't. And you can replace they with I, and it's still the same thing. I am addicted. I have anger issues. I have doubts. I have done horrible, bad, shameful things to myself and other people. Don't I need to try to at least be a good person? Don't I need to at least try to change some things in my life in order for God to start loving me? No. Romans 8 says this, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. 
Neither death nor life, neither, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you no matter what. That's his promise. Your spouse walked out on you, Jesus never will. That teacher manipulated you, Jesus never will. That girlfriend let you down, Jesus never will. Those friends turned their backs on you when you needed them the most, Jesus never will. And once you have Jesus, you can get out of bed with peace without your mind being busy worrying, how did I do today? Does God still love me? Then once you have that, if Jesus wants to change something in your life, he'll let you know. But to be honest, until Jesus is in your life, nothing that needs to change, at least the big and important things, really have a hope of changing anyways. Because if you could change all those things without Jesus, you would have done so already. Once you believe the promise that God loves you unconditionally, you will start to trust him. And when you start to trust him, then he will begin to work on your soul. And you'll actually want him to do that because you know it's coming from a place that's full of grace, a place where we know that he wants what's best for us, a place where we know that when we fall short, which we will, he will still love us. But it starts with accepting the truth and the promise that God loves us. So Jesus always have, has and always will love you. That's a promise. But when you choose to accept that truth, when you choose to allow God lead your life out of the abundance of love that he has for you, then you will see God and start to fully understand his promises. And for some of you, that's where you need to start. You need to start by believing that that promise is real, by accepting that love, by accepting that grace. Start by choosing to live every day in his love and mercy because there is nothing greater. And when you are ready to take that next step, what we do at Collective is we celebrate that through baptism. When we baptize people at Collective, we have them repeat, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, meaning Jesus is going to take care of me. He is my leader and my forgiver. He is my grace and my truth. And I know that some of you are struggling with belief and you aren't really sure you even want to believe. But if you have a love that is unconditional and free and gives second chances, and third and fourth chances, and 500th chances, and love that gives you peace and purpose, and you can't make that love go away. If you have that, what else do you need? This is what you've been looking for your entire life, is someone that loves you no matter what. And that's God. That's God. And when you are ready to accept that love or celebrate and declare that, that's when it's time to get baptized. And so we say this every week, when you're ready for that, you check the baptism box on your connection card. We're not gonna take your children, but we'll reach out this week and we'll talk, what does it look like to live a life where you know that there's unconditional love that you can have 24 seven? Pastor Tim Keller once said, we are all more wicked than we ever dared believe 
but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. And that word wicked can be traded out for a number of other words. We are more broken than we ever dared believe. We are more lost than we ever dared believe. We are more sinful than we ever dared believe. But we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. You are loved. That is a promise. You don't have to earn that love. You don't even have to reciprocate it. It's always there. It's always available. It's always yours for the taking. And that is a promise that you can hold on to. I am loved. I am loved. I don't deserve it, but I'm loved. Let's pray. God, we, um, we really struggle with this. God, ultimately, we struggle with the idea of love because so many of us have experienced heartache. God, so many of us have experienced broken promises. So many of us have been let down. So many of us have been told that we're unlovable. So God, it's easy for us just to pass over this thought chalk it up to Sunday school for kids. But God, we know deep down inside that ultimately we just want to be loved. So God, we are so thankful that you always love us. God, that you loved us before the world began, before you knew, uh, before we knew you. God, before we messed up, you loved us. While we mess up, you love us. And God, it's not contingent on anything that we can offer you or whether or not we reciprocate it back, God, your love is constant, something that is always with us. So God, I just pray for the people um, who are struggling with that, God, who are letting people in their life dictate whether or not they feel loved. God, ultimately, I, I pray that they lean, on, lean in and move toward you this week and accept the unconditional love that you offer every single day. God, help us live like people who know that we're loved God, ultimately, help us bring that love into our own lives, into our own family, and into our own community. God, thank you that you love us, even though we mess up all the time. Um, God, we're ready to say yes to that. God, we're ready to let you start working on our souls. God, we're ready to feel that every single day. God, we love you and pray these things in your name.